Welcome to the Shift Spotlight Podcast. I'm Winter, your host and co-founder of the Shift Spot. We are a CEO coaching and peer advisory community of fellow business owners who are passionate about making radical shifts in their businesses and their lives. We are business transformational experts that help business owners and CEOs shift from working in the business to working on the business. My partner, Ken Paskins, and I have a combined 55 years of experience as an accomplished CEO, COO, executive coach, skill sets in sales and marketing, public relations, and peak performance for successful CEOs looking to scale their business with ease. We say here at the Shift Spot, shift happens, we can help. And we believe our support will help you design your business to give you the freedom and balance you deserve. Also, the Shift Spotlight is always looking for podcast guests. So go to theshiftspot.com and click on podcasts. We'd love to have you. Hey, everybody, it's Winter with the Shift Spotlight. And today we are here with Jay Agner. Is that how you pronounce your last name? It's the best job anybody's ever done. Yes, that was perfect. Well, my name my name gets botched quite a bit, so I, I get it. Um, but uh, how do, how do you pronounce it? That's it. You got it. That is. That's that's the Dang. nobody's ever gotten it right. So congratulations. I, I put it into a you know Chat GPT and had them give me a phonetic version. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. That's very smart to do. <laughs> and uh, you are located in Philly. If people want to get a hold of Jay, the the best way that he can be found is going to be at jdaqa.com we're going to go over what all those letters mean today but jay tell us at a high level what what exactly is it that you do so i run a software quality assurance agency so we do software testing for custom software development shops or SaaS companies um a lot of those companies just want to focus on building cool stuff and they don't want to worry about the browsers and devices and how they test stuff and how do they automate all the repetitive stuff that they have to do how do they support a hundred thousand people on it. If they need to ramp it up, how do they keep it secure? Uh, that's when they come to us and that's what we provide to them. So how did you get started in that? That's not, you know, something that people talk about every day, like, Oh, I'm in marketing, right? We get all that, but that's a, that's sort of a unique Avenue. What, what's your background there? Uh, I get asked a lot. How do you get into QA? And I always have the same answer. I have no idea. Um, I was just, (laughs) I was just not a good programmer. I went to school to be, uh, I want to make video games. So I went to full sale. Um, you know, I can program. I love doing it in my free time, but I didn't feel like, and I always equated to being an author. I think that people, you know, anybody can be an author. Um, but you know, to write a really good book or a top 10 bestseller, you have to be kind of built for that. And it's a special kind of talent. Uh, same thing with programming. I didn't have that. And I got lucky enough to be interviewed for a QA position while I was in uh, college at a partnership program with a company up here in Pennsylvania, uh, down in Florida. And, um, I accepted the job and jumped into QA and uh, kind of meandered my way through and eventually started doing consulting and and uh, had a problem saying no to money when when there was more contracts than time and started to bring in people I knew. And, you know, uh, next thing you knew, I had a 60 person business and, and we've got three teams across three continents and, and a bunch of long term clients. So uh, it's been a good ride. So you didn't pick QA. QA picked you. QA picked me. Very great. <laughs> great way to put that. Yes, it did. It, it, Plucked me out of uh, development and and stole me away. So what part of Florida was this in? Just curious. Winter Park. Okay. All right. My park. That's my park. That's your park. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Beautiful place. Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. 
So what are your annual revenues? So we do around 1.5 to 2 million, uh, you know, per year. I think we'll be closer to two again this year, um, you know, aiming for, for five over the next couple of years. And then, you know, the, the goal is 10 and kind of keep it there, um, which I think is all very doable as we've figured out how to target our customers better. Yeah, you've you've really grown to a, a a pretty big company, 60 employees. That's a lot of butts and seats. So what's the biggest headache of managing a staff that size? Especially because it's like, look, this career picks you. And so often what we see at the shift spot, you know, because we work with a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs who have either scaled too quickly or they want to scale and they don't know how. Something's broken in their business. They just don't know what it is. But, you know, a, a lot of times they get this on the job training where they they learn along the way and they start out and they're the accountant and they're the marketer and they're the salesperson and they're sort of doing everything. But to bring on that kind of a staff and not have HR background and, you know, human capital expertise, you had to have made some really awesome mistakes. So how, how did you grow that big and... What did you do? Awesome mistakes. It sounds like uh, Bob Ross's happy little clouds, happy little accidents. Um, <laughs> those are all great questions. I think um, <clears throat> I de-risked myself when I started the business by having contractors and building my business around the contractor model because you know if there's margin in there. And you know, originally when we first started, our guys didn't get paid until we got paid. Now that has changed over the years, obviously, as we've matured and gotten a little more. But to start out, you know, that was the biggest way I de-risked myself and kind of allowed myself to scale up because I wasn't paying anything out of pocket. It was all revenue from clients that, you know, we brought in, we kept the margin, and then we paid our guys. Um, right. And so as we did that, we kind of built our war chest up so that we could get to every two-week model. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think the other part of that is, um, kind of figuring out how to hire the right people, meaning, you know, don't hire yourself, uh, hire people who have different skills than you and better than you in different things, because, uh, the sooner you realize you're not able to do every single one of those jobs functions, like better than everybody else on the planet, uh, the better, all, you know, the better off you're going to be. So we've got an incredible operations and resources layer now. Um, they run the projects, they deal with onboarding, they deal with resources, they deal with time off, they deal with finance, like all the kind of core, um, you know, acquisition and payment and retention of all our people, making sure they're happy. Um, so yeah, I, I would say we've had some misses along the way, but I mean, the vast majority of it has just been identifying good talent, de-risking the business along the way so that we weren't, you know. Uh, eating a bunch of money if somebody didn't work out um, and, and just growing a team with uh, supplemental uh, skill sets and everybody kind of contributes to the same overall goal, which is, which is awesome. Right. And so when you say you've hired the right talent, how did you know they were the right talent? They, um, that's another great question. I think people say that to stall their answer to give themselves a little time. I've realized that as a host, uh, and I say it a lot as a guest now. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I, I would say, you know, it takes some some time. I, I I cheated the system a little bit. I hired 
a bunch of people I used to work with. So yes. um, the company that I worked with previously was kind of winding down. Like one of my oldest attended, actually the oldest tenured employee I have was a guy I used to work with. He was one of my senior uh, guys at a place I used to work with. I hired my old boss uh, at a couple of places down nice. the line. Um, that's when you know you've arrived when you're hiring your old boss that's when you're like all right i've arrived i mean it would have felt you know i yeah i i he was he's such an amazing guy and he taught me so much that i i felt like you know I, he was i still was kind of indebted to him even after that but um i would say you know i cheated the system a little bit by knowing that i had good talent that i was bringing in um and then once i saw the characteristics like some of those people are really great workhorses, right? Like they just get in and they just love to work and they get their stuff done. But if you stick them in a leadership role or even a, a lead role where they're supposed to manage a project or do whatever, they may fumble and they may stumble and you go, well, that's not really their skill set. So I think uh, over time, just kind of identifying those two groups of people, the ones that can lead projects and that can talk to clients and kind of do the higher level strategy stuff. And then just the people who are in there and just want to just you know, work as hard as they can, get the stuff done on a, on a punch list. Um, and there's certainly two different types of personalities, those two different type of people. Um, so cheating the system and some trial and error uh, as we went. And now we just, we kind of know uh, very quickly what type of person they are, whether they're a lead or, or kind of a, a workhorse. And, um, you know, we, we do a pretty good job of staffing our projects accordingly. All right. So your industry chose you. The best people in the world chose you even. So like you make the CEO journey look really easy. So what's not been easy about your CEO journey? Uh, having five kids uh, will do that. Uh, <laughs> to balance in life. Um, I, I, I'm probably don't have a great answer to this because I mean, I love it so much and I've just kind of always had the mindset, like, I'm always going to figure it out. Right. I mean, I had a kid when I was 19 in college and I think a lot of people may have rolled over at that point and just went and kind of just hit under a rock somewhere. But, uh, I kind of decided at that point in my life that, you know, I was going to figure it out. And I have the same mindset with the CEO. There's never been anything I've, that we've come across that like I've folded and just said, we can't deal with, um, personnel challenges. You know, sometimes people aren't the right fit. Sometimes clients aren't happy. You know, I've made mistakes when I was in there doing the work myself and kind of lost some clients early on. Um, I think now that we've matured and I know my job is biz dev and sales um, and marketing, um, having too many options, I think, is is very distracting a lot of the times. Like I have so many things that I could be doing to improve the bottom line of the business, whether it's sales or marketing, LinkedIn or, you know, networking cold email, inbound, out, whatever it is. Um, I think just cutting through all those different options has been somewhat difficult as we've hit this, you know, we've hit our milestones along the way and things have been great. Um, but it's very easy to plateau. And, you know, side note, I think that's why there's so many, there's a saturation of business coaches in the world because it's not the hardest thing in the world to make a million dollar business. It's a really hard thing to make a five or $10 million business. So I think it's very easy to teach and not do at that stage. Um, Do you know so, that only 17% of businesses hit a million in revenue a year? I didn't. I knew there was some crazy, crazy? small number. It's a crazy, yeah, it's a crazy number. small it number. Is. It is. Um, um, but a lot of a lot do cap out right there for whatever reason. It's hard. Um, it's hard when you go because that's like the friends and family, right? Like you can get a good network and build a business of a million dollars. I think. I think if yeah. you have that, and not really any marketing, just like know the people you know and people that they know. 
you could probably build a million dollars. Um, but I think getting over that hump and, and like really driving towards the next level of growth for us has been my biggest focus and biggest challenge today um, that I'm I'm still trying to tackle. What do you think prevents you from like scaling to that 10 million mark? Obviously, you don't want to go from two to 10 overnight. That's just going to, you know, make you turn into an alcoholic. But, um, you know, what do you think is the the biggest obstacle in your way? It's having too many options. It's it's there's so many choices of ways you can go get business. I think finding the one that fits your business, and you can't just have one, right? You can't just have one sales channel or one marketing channel. It's it's figuring out what to put my time and attention into um has been the biggest thing, I think. Right. I mean, I do a lot of automation with LinkedIn and email and blah, blah, blah. But like just really defining my sales strategy, my marketing strategy, and kind of having one I can have a cadence on and improve on. We do OKRs and stuff, but you know, we're certainly not as good as we should be with those. But um, yeah, I think having consistency in our sales and marketing um, and being, and being really confident that that's the right approach, right? Cause we're still testing a bunch of stuff. We still try a bunch of stuff and that's the fun stuff for me. And I think that's probably why we we're where we are is because I enjoy doing that stuff. I, I, I do. Um, but yeah, I, I think, knowing the the successful channels we did a lot of business off upwork over the years we did got a ton of business from upwork and, i could see that yeah and it was great and it still is we still get clients from there and that's 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 fantastic um you know and, and but i don't want that to be our main sales channel so i think really establishing some some good sales and marketing channels that we can believe in that are repeatable uh is our way to you know five next yeah, so my background's in marketing and public relations. And I studied it at Florida State back when their football team was good. Although we're looking, we're looking kind of good this year. So maybe, maybe it'll be our year. Um, and then I got a job in public relations and marketing for the Miami Art Museum. And so I really like started my career doing marketing and public relations, but it was way back before the tech came and way back before, you know, we used to stuff press releases into envelopes and mail them. That's how old school it was. So as things have changed, you know, I've always had a hand in marketing. And just like you, you know, a, a developer hired me in Miami to do marketing for his Highline Luxury real estate development. And so then he was so cheap, he made me get my real estate license so he could 1099 me. And I was young and I didn't get what that meant. You don't have health insurance or benefits. <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, I started to see what the salespeople did on my marketing. And I was like, well, I'll go do this for myself. So I didn't choose real estate. Real estate chose me. But really, real estate was always a marketing gig for me because when others would fail, like during the foreclosure market, everybody was jumping out. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to market myself as a good deal specialist. Nobody's doing that. So then I got all these investors, cash coming out from the woodwork, wanting to buy houses for 50 cents on the dollar when everybody couldn't figure out how to do anything. So everything I've ever done in life has been marketing. And even down to the shift spot, I do all the marketing. You know, the shift spot is the place where CEOs and business owners go to make those shifts in business and life. You know, they really, they're wanting to get to that next level or they've even, you know, they've gotten too big too quick and they want to scale back. They're like, oh, wait, if I do more, I'm going to have to do more. So the reason I came up with the name was, you know, making a shift and the place where you make the shift. But the one thing I've learned about marketing and I've learned it through a lot of failures along the way. And when I say failures, I like to say fail forward because you you learn something along the way. But is it doesn't matter what you do as long as you just do it consistently. And you also have to be in alignment with it. And I've really learned that like 
for a while there, I, I would study the, um, you know, Dan Kennedy and the Frank Kern and, you know, how to do sales funnels and all of that. And I hated the way it made me feel. I, I, I like, I just felt so gross, you know, and, and, and I get it works, right. But it's just not like it didn't, it didn't feel authentic to myself. And when you're doing market marketing that doesn't feel authentic to yourself, it's going to blow up in your face. Instagram. I've never been into Instagram, even in when my real estate days when I was, yeah, it's probably a good platform for real estate days, but it just wasn't my jam. You know, I just didn't want to have to be on another platform, but I was doing all these things sometimes that like didn't actually align with who I am and what felt good to me. And when I scaled that back to the couple things that felt good, it doesn't matter if you personally send 10 emails a day, every single day for the rest of your life. If you do it long enough, it's going to turn into something. So I really think that with marketing, you have to, the options, yes, they're plentiful. But then when you, when you look at authenticity marketing, that's what's going to bait the client you want, in my opinion. Well, I agree. I agree. And I think having a podcast has helped me uh, stay consistent because, you, you know, to grow a podcast, you have to be consistent. And it just so happens that kind of aligns with what, we do and some of my guests are potential clients and like if they can share that to their clients feeds and stuff like that so that has been a a good uh you know emphasis of your point that just being consistent um you know we got added to somebody's slack channel as a partner last week after they were on the show so it's like it's a perfect example of like if you keep doing it you'll start yeah. to figure out the nuances of it you'll get better at it and then like eventually the the, the lights do come on so yeah i i, I totally get that So your podcast is called The First Customer, and it talks to entrepreneurs about how they got their first customer. Tell us like some of the most common or uncommon responses you've gotten on how people have gotten their first customer. Um, It depends on the the age of the guests, because sometimes, you know, uh, some of it been, I think my favorite was uh, Bob Cooper. Uh, He was like CIO at uh, one of our client companies. He um he started a mail order temporary tattoo business when he was like a teenager and like one of his first customers was a guy in jail somehow got the advertisement for his uh tattoos and was ordering them through jail so that was an interesting one um <laughs> the most common one is friends and family I say it all the time friends and family plan it's like uh you know, if somebody had an idea, somebody had a service and, and a great example of that is my marketing consultant um, who's helped me work through some of these things that we were just talking about. Uh, I used to work with her years ago. She reached out about a year ago and said, Hey, I started this marketing consulting firm. You know, I knew we were good friends. would love to, you know, chat about it. And now, you know, I'm paying her 125 bucks an hour to be my marketing consultant. Like it's that easy uh, to reach out to people in your network. And like you said, if you just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, uh, somebody's going to say yes. And that's your first consulting gig. That's your first customer. That's your first, whatever. Um, I, th- I think that's probably and, the- and that's the funniest thing because when real estate agents get their license, like the first thing they tell you to do is go to your friends and family. And the last thing your friends and family are going to do is use a realtor that they've never used before. And I love it when I get these like rookies that reach out to me and they're like, I've reached out to my network and nobody wants to work with me. I'm like, dude, I wouldn't want to work with you either. Right. But yes. uh, it yep. works yep. in almost everything but real estate. <laughs> I would say, yeah, there's certainly ones that like maybe friends and family aren't the right, right way. Um, and, and, you know, the, the smart folks do a lot of market research, um, which is like a very nebulous 
terrifying term, I think, a lot of the times because, you know, what is market research? Like, it's everything. Um, but a lot of them is like doing surveys. We had this guy on last week that uh, interviewed 200 insurance brokers for this, uh, you know, he went to all these insurance conferences. He did all these different things because they were developing this insurance tech uh, company. And they went out and interviewed a bunch of people. They kind of put together a solution based on all the feedback that they gathered and sifted through. And that's how they got their first customers from one of those conferences they went to. So, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. It's not this magic. You know, there's no magic wand. It's all networking. It's uh, it's going to conferences. It's asking people you know. Um, you know, I don't I don't think it's as easy as a lot of the Alex Hormozis of the world who are just like, you know, make some productized service that costs ten thousand dollars a month and like be the best that you can be and like somebody will buy it. Like I guess that works, but in reality, I think being to your point authentic, um, and and you know, making your first couple of deals to get that social proof are, are very important. Yeah. I think that the number one skill set you need when getting your first customer is confidence. And so, so my mom, because I had red hair as a little girl, she made me model at two years old. So I was out there, you know, in front of the camera at two years old. Not a, so like confidence is in my DNA. It's like, I don't know how to not be confident, but you know, I have, I have a team that I work with and I, and I can see where they waver in that department and it's, it doesn't come naturally for everyone. But when I first got started into real estate, how I got my first customer, even though this isn't your podcast, I'm going to tell a story. I'll have to have you on, of course, at this point. Yes. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I went to auctions because that's when the whole world was ending 2007 and eight. I had done land before that. Then I got into residential world was ending. And I knew at the auctions that guys with the green bidding cards were cash and they were multiple bidders. And the guys or girls with the white bidding cards, they were bidding on one home and they were financing. I had figured that much out from the check-in process. So I would go up to the guys and I was like, you know, in my late 20s, I'd go up to the guys that didn't seem like they had any wives with them or whatever. And with the green bidding cards, and I'd be like, hey, you know, why would you, what, what are you doing here? You know, oh, we're looking for a good deal. Why would you go into a room of buyers bidding up against one another for a good deal? That doesn't make any sense. Here's my card. I'll help you find a house for 50 cents on the dollar. I didn't even know how to find a house for 50 cents on the dollar. I've never actually sold a house before. And then uh, I got I got a guy who called me and he, he took me out one day. We went out to look at houses. I was starving. I didn't know when I was going to eat again. And he... Uh, he tells me he wants to make an offer on this house. And I didn't know anything about houses, but I knew something was wrong with this house. Like something felt off. And so I said to him, I said, look, Mr. G, I, I just, I don't think you should buy this house. And he just looked at me and we left and we're in my car. It was cloth seat, slick top. I'm broke then. I don't know what I'm going to eat. And I'm sitting here hitting my head on the steering wheel, like stupid, stupid, stupid. Why did you say that? He was getting ready to buy. You squashed a sale. And I look over at him and he's smiling at me. And I'm like, why are you smiling? He goes, Winter, I've been an investor for 25 years. That was a test and you passed. And then he bought six $100,000 homes for me that year. I, had, I mean, that that month, sorry, that month. So I went from never selling a home to selling 600000 which back in 2007 was a lot. And um, yeah, and it all came from doing the right thing. So, I mean, and, and, and all that came from confidence too. You weren't allowed to put things on cars at those auctions. But I had no fear. I had a, a vulture. It was called Atlanta Home Vultures. And it was like a vulture coming down, like, I'll find your good deal. Vulture. Just just 
Wow. And I was I was putting them all on the cards and the guards would chase me. Right. But all that came was from confidence. Like, look, I've got nothing to lose. And when sometimes when you have nothing to lose, that is the best spot to be in because, you know, you burn the boat. Right. You burn the boat. And when you burn the boat, sometimes I think a lot of CEOs, they they dabble in something and they you know, it's sometimes you just got to burn the boat. And then that's when you see the most success. Yeah. So I love that story. And it just exemplifies like I get very frustrated. You know, a lot lot of friends and family will ask me, you know, when you have a successful business, as you know, a lot of people ask you how you do it, blah, blah, blah. And I, I get frustrated because um, a lot of them are timid or they don't either have a current job and like, Oh, I have benefits and I don't want to go. And I'm like, well then like, I don't know what I'm talking to you for. Like, what do you like, what do you want from me? I'm going to, I'm going to talk you into getting into business. And if you don't want to be, then I'm going to get frustrated because you're giving me all these reasons why you can't be. And because you got pick the kids up after school. And like, I mean, we all, you know, the people who run successful businesses made sacrifices and we made it happen. So like, I, that's a great point of just like, if you're going to do it, you got to do it. And you can't, you can't come up with reasons why you, you can't, or you shouldn't, or you won't or whatever, uh, because you'll never do it. So it just, you gotta, you gotta do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. That's why I tell my people. What are the top three things impacting your company right now? Like, you know, coming up on this 2024 year, election years are weird. Things are uncertain in the market right now. What would you say the top three things are impacting your company? Top three things impacting my company would be um, certainly the wave of AI stuff. Um, there's been a uh, an uptick in those type of platforms and that sort of um space and you know we're seeing some some companies come in that that want us to test their software you know uh kind of deal with their ai based platforms um maybe not the election stuff but um you know certainly just seasonally this time of year is good because it's between the summer holiday and the winter holiday uh so this is a great time of year for us as far as like impact goes we get a lot of inbound you know a lot of people looking to shore up their platform before the end of the year to finish some of these initiatives they've had going so that's that's a good one um and then just in general i think um you know there was a lot of uncertainty at the beginning of the year which i never really personally bought into like the world the sky is falling recession's coming like all that sort of stuff that did, it didn't really impact us too much um but you know certainly we've had to provide we had to prove that we can provide more value this year so just the the tim you know the the slight uncertainty in the market whether it's real or not um has also impacted us in the sense that it's a little harder to close deals we've closed a lot of deals but it's still you know it's it's more about um bringing that social proof, the references, you know, the, all the stuff that like, have you done this before? How many times have you done? And especially for the bigger companies up to enterprise, like they, they want due diligence out the yin yang um, to make sure you're the right fit. So I would say, you know, seasonally um, AI, the, the time of year, and then definitely kind of the, the market itself um, has have all impacted us pretty, pretty heavily this year. I have a marketing idea for you. Oh, please. God, lay it on me. Please let me hear it. Well, I mean, AI is in your last name. You can say something like, I had AI before it was even a thing. Uh, that's a good one. See, look at you. I, I mean, I mean, I, are you doing <laughs> consulting? Because I may need to hire you. 
I like that. I like that a lot. And Allen Iverson, uh, AI from Philadelphia, has started to cash in on his name uh, being AI as well. So it's a good oh, one. that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, it's a good. It's, it's a good time. Okay, if, uh, two more questions. If you had to do it all over again, speaking to your younger self or a less experienced self, what would your advice be? Hire an operations person as soon as possible. Um, that was the biggest. My COO, I was telling you about it, uh, Autumn. She lives in Ohio. She is uh, everything to this business. She helped kind of unlock the entirety of my abilities to sell and to do biz dev and do all these things because she has such a good handle on the operations layer in our company um, that it's kind of freed me up to to do these other things, to do podcasts, to go network, to do sales, to do marketing, all those sort of things. So. Um, I would say don't be afraid to hire operations person would be uh, my biggest advice to my younger self. And don't be afraid of the cost of the salary, right? I mean, it, it takes money to make money. And sometimes that doesn't always look pay for marketing. Sometimes it's pay for the person to free yourself up so that you can be the visionary. Because a lot of times these CEOs, they, they were the visionary. Then they got this company going. Now they're doing all of the jobs, all of the hats, hair on fire. And they literally don't have that ability to be the visionary anymore. My partner, Ken, he's a visionary in our little setup. And sometimes he'll just be sitting in a room, in the sunroom or something like that. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm visionizing, not visualizing, visionizing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because he actually needs, like I'm, I can be more of the boots on the ground person, but he needs that ability to, really think bigger or think long-term. And when you're stuck in the day-to-day, that money is an investment in yourself. Even if it it's like, I don't want to part with that money. I'm going to make less money. You will take a temporary step back, but you will step forward. Yeah, buy your time back. I'm the biggest delegation uh, evangelist there is. I always, I always think, and I think- back I love that, delegation evangelist. And I think, I think, uh, I think that's why- business coaches are so prevalent because that's the problem that they solve first for all these businesses that are in the same place. Typically like the starting point is always to delegate, right? It's, it's got, I, I feel like that's gotta be just biz coach one oh one. you know, yep. it's like go figure out how to extract that person from the day-to-day operations. Like that's what you go do. And that's, you know, you could probably be pretty su- successful doing that. And, and that's exactly what we do because we're a CEO coaching and peer advisory community. And like one of the things we sit down and do is we do a gap analysis and see where your gaps are. And yep. it, it is the first thing. So how do you think you got that? I got two more questions now that you said that. How, how do you think you got that when other CEOs really struggle with that? I just, I, um, I value my time appropriately, I think. Maybe and it I was realized, a to you, the kids I mean, and the wife. Having the kids and the wife, I mean, I enjoy life. I'm working on my pilot's license. I'm an astrophotographer. I like, I do a bunch of stuff. Like I, I play hockey. Like I do a bunch of stuff on the side. Um, and you can't do any of that stuff if you're just constantly drilling yourself into the ground as a CEO or an entrepreneur. Um, but I'll, I mean, in, in reality, like the real answer is that um, I realized what my role was. I hired a really good COO. I have a really good team of assistants. I have a great operations and customer service layer. And once I realized my job 
is to kick off initiatives, whatever that is in the company. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's my job as an initiative starter in my company. It's to figure out marketing and figure out sales. Like those are kind of like my three things and everything else I can delegate. But like those three things. And once I realized that was my job, um, anything that comes up, even the podcast, right? I mean, I did the podcast myself for a while and like I got, got the hang of it and like figured out how to do it and the editing and all that stuff. But like now I just show up. Right. Like doing all that other stuff isn't worth my time. Like it's good for me to yeah. delegate that to my team and teach them how to do it. And then now I just show up and I use it. Now I figure out how do I take that content that I made and use that for marketing? And how do I, you know, use it in six different ways, you know, live stream and record it and turn it into clips and then do blog posts and then do a newsletter and like all these different things that you want to do with that content. Uh, I wouldn't be able to free up to even think about that if I was just doing all the scheduling doing all the recordings, doing all the editing, doing all the posting, all the things that I have to use to do. So I think just like out of necessity. That's the, that is um, the soul sucking work, you know, and, and I was doing that in the beginning for a while. That's a soul sucking work. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not hard. It's time consuming. Hard on your your brain. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mind numbing. Yeah. And, and when I got, you know, the right person in place to do that, it freed up so much time to do the things that I love more, which I love doing these podcasts. I love talking to all these awesome entrepreneurs and CEOs all the time, but the whole editing and this and that. uh, It's a lot to to deal with. All right. So last question, where do you see yourself investing resources for growth over the next year? I would like to hire a salesperson and I would like to hire uh, some sort of strategy consultant around sales and biz dev and like what I'm supposed to be spending my time on. Cause I have a pretty good idea and I would really just want to either validate or disprove that. But I think that's kind of my next, my next hire to unlock growth is, is a salesperson to replicate what I'm doing, or at least an appointment center to some degree to get people on the calendar and start, you know, having more discovery calls on. Cause still I'm, I'm the main guy doing that right now. So um, yeah, I think that's, those are the two biggest things. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny sales points at marketing, marketing points at sales, typically in companies, right. They are two different skill sets. Um, you know, marketing helps sales, but sales has to know how to close. And so having the right closer, that also comes down to confidence too. Um, but you know, those are, those are awesome. I mean, I've heard a lot of answers like AI and this and that, but I really do think that you're investing in people is the smartest thing you could be doing for your company right now. And like, you might not be affected by election years, but a lot of companies are because, doesn't matter like people it doesn't matter who gets elected democrat or republican but until then a lot of people go wait something's going to happen and uh, i don't know and so they like they pull back right. and this is the time to double down when everybody's pulling back if you're the only one out there marketing this is your time to shine yeah. and yeah. and it doesn't matter who gets elected once it happens everybody's like oh okay i didn't die cool right. But, you know, um, I, I, I see this happen and and we're, you know, we're going full force in our marketing efforts over the next six months Why people freak out, because I think that more than ever, people will need support and more community. We think it's the best way to navigate change, build new practices and pursue results and transformation. So we're going to continue to double down on that right now. But you have been one of my all time favorite interviews. Um 
you've got great tonality, great personality. You, you've got something awesome. Um, I, I loved, I loved interviewing. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, wanted to get a hold of your services, what, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, before I do that, this is my favorite thing that guests do to me now. Oh. Definitely check out Winner's Show uh, on on Apple Podcasts. Uh, five star rating uh, means a lot to to podcasts, and uh, you know check out the show. Um, you can find me at jdaqa.com, J Agner A I G N E R, and LinkedIn or J jdaqa.com. Uh, reach out if you need any help with software testing, uh, manual automated security performance testing for SaaS. Uh, we're your we're your guys and gals. So that's it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mary. Winter here. Thank you so much for listening to the Shift Spotlight podcast. If you are a business owner, CEO, founder, or co-founder of a service-based business with 11 to 100 employees and have zero to nine years of experience seeking recognition for your exceptional expertise, while gaining exposure through our remarkable network? Well, we are actively searching for podcast guests who can bring their inspiring stories to light, to the spotlight. And we would love to showcase your journey. Please visit theshiftspot.com forward slash podcast to apply today. And if you are a listener, I'd love to give a shout out to your business, to our whole audience for free. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow our newsletter on LinkedIn by searching The Shift Spot through LinkedIn. I'd love to just even have you pop by and say hello because I'd love to meet you. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot, truly, to me and my team. We believe every person has a message that can positively impact the world. And we love our community who listens and shares our program. Together, we are empowering one another as shift leaders. Hit subscribe to be inspired and motivated. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you and your growing business. We will see you next time.